Welcome back to the Psychotist Podcast, everybody. We are in... Oh, it's loud. <laughs> We're in Leuven. We're in Flanders. We're in Belgium for the World Championships, of course. I'm Kelly Fretz. David Everett. Abby Mickey. We're about, what, 30K from the end of the men's race. We're going to talk all about it in a little bit. But first and foremost, we talked about the ladies yesterday. But before we do, a quick word from our sponsor this week. Continental. As we all know, Continental has long been the tire of choice for pro teams. At this year's Tour de France, for example, there were no less than six World Tour teams on Continental tires. Arkea Samsic, Bahrain Victorious, Groupama, Ineos, Movistar, Intermarché, Wanti, Gobert, Matériau, all of them on Continentals. And at the World Championships this week, riders from those teams, of course, were still riding Continental. We may be in Belgium, but every single one of those riders was relying on Continental's legendary German precision and quality. Whether it is a TT day last weekend or the road races this weekend, the pros are relying on a mix of low rolling resistance, grip, puncture protection, and speed that they get from Continental tires. Thanks to Continental for sponsoring this week's episode. The bike race is coming. The bike race is coming. Uh, they were going to have one lap to go, I believe, when they come by us this time. Two. Two laps to go? Kaylee keeping a close eye on how the race is panning out. They know the call perfectly. You're right, 30K. They got two laps to go when they come by us once more. So while they're out on their lap, we're going to talk about the ladies. Abby, it was a, a pretty fantastic women's race yesterday. Uh, tons of tactics. Big... Big teams, wow, those, those are very loud, those things. <laughs> those are right in our ear. It's Anamie Van Luden, right there. Oh, yeah. Anamie Van Luden out. Spectating. Watch, watch Spectating the, the men's race. Funny. What's she drinking? She is... We're going to take a second. A Shimano <laughs> it looks like a can of some kind. I think it's a seltzer or like a sparkling something. It's not a beer, unfortunately. Not a beer. She's got Perry Roubaix next weekend. Yeah, it's not a beer. So maybe actually before we talk about anything, we can talk about the fans here in Flanders. It's obviously been a little while. <laughs> There's been that much noise and that much craziness going on. It set a house alarm off. <laughs> so there's a lot of people here. We should set the scene. We're right on the street, right street front. There's people dangling out of like multiple stories, watching the race go by. It's just fantastic. There's guys, look at them up there. They clearly don't care about safely, do they? Three, four stories up, got plenty of booze in them. Hanging as far out the window as possible. I'd be amazed if there's not some injuries today. Yeah, there there are a lot of people, and we're not even like close to the finish slash like central area where there's like ten people deep. I mean, you can't move an inch over there. It feels like for a year, no one in Belgium was allowed to go spectate bike races, and now they're losing their minds. <laughs> I've, I've, I've not seen as much beer at a Belgian race in a long time. 
And that says something, doesn't it? Because there's usually a lot of fluid floating around. All of the racers dashed past, everyone swung round to the shop with a TV in the window and realised that Remco's exploded. He has done his job. He's done his job. Remco, yes. Surely his job... You're sure his job today wasn't to be a, a sly man for the win? No. Everyone for a vote, huh? Van Aert, well, Van Aert or nothing? Van Aert, yeah, Van Aert. <laughs> That's one of the locals giving us <laughs> the hot takes. Um, women's race was super exciting. It, when Lauren and I were watching it, because I got the very amazing privilege of watching it with Lauren Rowney, my freewheeling co-host of the last year plus, uh, her and I were watching it on the side of the road, and we were and we were thinking, man, this there's no attacks. Like this race is so easy. Chloe Hosking is clearly the favorite at this point because the race is so easy. And then it just imploded in the last 30k. Just attack after attack after attack. The Dutch were pretty aggressive, but so was Kashini Wadoma. I think she should get like the most uh, fun person to watch award for the day. Um, Ellen Van Dyke is riding super well right now. Um, but it was the Italians that had the best tactics of the day and basically did nothing. I mean, you'd usually see um, Elisa Longaborghini attacking and up in those moves and stuff, but she, she wasn't present at all. And it became clear why at the end of the race when the Italians were lined up on the front, leading out um, Elisa Balsamo. Yeah, they, their lead-out for Elisa Balsamo was so good, in fact, that they dropped the entire peloton and Mariana Voss had to put in an effort to get onto Balsamo's wheel, which then put her on the back foot and she couldn't come around Balsamo in the end. So so the Italians won, Elisa Balsamo won the race. Question. Answer. Sorry. Uh, do you have one? <laughs> no, well, we talked about this at dinner last night. So was this uh, the dominant team coming into any, any world event like this, Olympics, Worlds, doesn't matter, is always gonna be the Dutch, right? It, every single time. Did they screw it up? And I say this having two of them just walk past us, so I'm going to say this a little bit quietly. Did they screw it up, or did the Italians just win, if, if, if that distinction makes sense? I think it was a combination of they screwed it up, and also the Italians were smarter, because the Italians really went all in for one person. They were The entire team was dedicated to Balsamo, which was not what I thought was gonna. they were going to play it. I thought Elisa Longaborghini was going to have some freedom to kind of attack and do her thing. And then there was going to be, you know, the, the other riders on the team that would look after Balsamo. But in the end, um, the Italians were all in for Balsamo, and, and maybe the Dutch were all in for Voss. But they... So had some it was a combination of yeah so they had like some what what someone on the inside who was in the race would call half-ass attacked attacks so they're what they were making moves at a certain point maybe just trying to keep the race fast but then the end of it was when it was really confusing because ellen van dyke kept getting into moves well the same move over and over and then her teammates would bring the group back like her her teammates were on the front chasing so it was, they they're Tactics were confusing. Even if, even if, part of the tactic was keep it together for Voss, it didn't look good. No, I mean Van Dyke is obviously on good form after this week. But the weird thing to me was that it wasn't like she was jumping on the back of moves and covering moves, and then getting chased down 
which would have been kind of made sense, but she was she was driving them, right? And then still it, getting chased down. It would have made more sense to use her in in a capacity to kind of sit on the front and bring those moves back versus being in the moves and then that her her efforts in in that scenario, you know, she used a punchy effort to get into the move and then she'd just sit in that move instead of sitting on the front. Colombian and I didn't, I didn't see you that Switzerland. Well. Switzerland. Instead of sitting on the front and pulling them back, which is what her strong suit would be, she's a time trial world champion. Yep. Um, and if she'd been, if she'd done that, if that had been her designated role, then Volering and Van Vluten and whoever would have been stronger to lead Voss out. Because in the end, what happened was like there was no one to lead Voss out, so Voss had to do it herself, which meant that she, which she just couldn't with the way the Italians played. Yeah, and she jumped on the on the wheel as best she could, but like you said, it was an effort to get onto Balsamo's wheel, which meant that by the time it was time to come around her, she'd already used she'd up already her sprint. Used it. Yeah, and there was just no way, and you, you could kind of see the frustration in her face as she came across. Yeah. I have another question. Okay. So we we haven't really talked about this yet, but so before, right before the worlds, uh, David Lepartian, the UCI president, was asked about adding a U23 women's race, which does not currently exist. Mm. Uh, he seemed to be kind of working through this in real time in his head <laughs> as, as he was answering. And the answer wasn't particularly, uh, as a result, well thought out. And basically what he proposed was sticking them in the same race. So U23s and elites would race the same race, but then the first U23 across the line would win the U23 World Championship jersey. Now, obviously, there's some tricky things about that. like. What if the same rider wins both? Which world championship do they then win? Because let's keep in mind that Balsamo has only been out of the U23s. If she was born two months earlier, she would have been a U23 this year, right? So that kind of thing happens. That kind of thing happens. So what do we think about this, this proposed... Well, I should say, we already know what you think about it because you read a, a commentary. I mean, it's just really stupid. It's, it's, I, I called it a cop-out um, in my piece because that's what it is. I mean, it's, it's just lazy, really. And what it would do would impact the elite race. It would ruin the U23's race because they would be, st they, they would still be eclipsed by the U23 race. It would really fuck with the tactics when it went when it came to the race on both sides look what i want to know is has lepartian actually raced has he ever raced because <laughs> this is like this is the thought pattern that he's put together that does to me comes across as somebody who's never freaking turned a pedal in anger yeah i mean look it, obviously it was a really quick response to a question that was thrown at him um out of the blue in his like as far as he's concerned but he um but it, it's something that should that we should have been working on years and years ago. Like it's something that he said this would be implied that this would be a one-time thing. This would be in Wollongong. Will, There's too many G's in that. Australia. <laughs> it, it would be you know 2022 would be the first U23s, and then after that they would have a separate race. But I, I propose in my piece on the site that that that's actually like just don't have just don't have it next year. Like just. Put put your all your eggs in the 2023 basket. Have a separate race in 2023. 
why it's so hard to have one more event in 2022 is like I don't understand but hey whatever if you really can't do it for 2022 do it for 2023 but putting them together doesn't make any sense I mean the the U23 riders were pissed about it the elite riders were pissed about it it's just it's such a cop-out it's just classic you it's just it's just classic UCI doing absolutely like beep call for the women sorry the thing for me is like a quick response or not that this is the kind of thing we see from a nation like my own Ireland we don't have enough on the 23s to have separate races so we have them in the one race with the elites but for a world championship it's yeah. it's just it's ludicrous that, I, I couldn't believe they, it when I heard it if their reasoning is because they wouldn't have enough riders like yeah maybe the first year it would be a little sparse or the racing wouldn't be super impressive but it's something that you build towards and right now the issue with the gap between the juniors and the elites is growing because the women's peloton even in the last year has transformed i mean they are so much faster this year than they were a year ago three years ago i mean it's just constantly the level is constantly being pushed and that's going to keep happening with more world tour racing and more world tour teams and the top of the sport is growing rapidly but there's no work being done into that middle section of development riders so all of the juniors who age out of juniors, they're being thrown straight into the elites and it's just gonna completely damage them. It's not gonna help the sport progress and there needs to be something that's done and having a U23 race is not the answer, but it's certainly a step in the right direction. I like the idea of having it in 2023 rather than 2022 as well. Like I say, give them time, not that they need the time to put together a U23 race, but. Glasgow's going to be the centre of not just the road, not just time trial, but you're going to have mountain biking in uh, Fort William, you're going to have track riding there, you can have everything. It's going to be like the first world where all the worlds come together. So it's a good, I suppose it's a perfect point to jump off, off with this. The, the other thing I've seen in Ireland is that we, we have, you know, decent numbers of... of uh, come the other thing i've seen in ireland is that we have decent numbers at the underage and junior level but it's that drop off from under 18 or junior as it's known to on the 23 level where we lose a lot of women in in competitive cycling and it just yeah exactly and that's that's where i see like the the gaping hole here the is that bring in an under 23 race and suddenly you know those those riders have something bigger to aim to for yeah. yeah and and there's only one that i know of only one uci u23 team in the world for women the next gen team um and they just actually they just got jolene door as their new sports director which is amazing but the why would there be u23 teams when there's nothing for them to work towards and just see how much those u23 teams in the men's side of the sport does for for the development of those writers yeah exactly so the whole thing was just i mean you're not i'm not surprised any at all at this point <laughs> but i was really disappointed so ronan chatted a little bit with lizzie dagnan at the finish so let's hear that really quick lizzie it was a very aggressive race out there today tell me how did it go from from your end yeah i was really happy with the way i rode like tactically kept putting myself in good positions had phenomenal uh, teammates in piper georgie and anna henderson um and yeah just um, i missed the legs in the end and, and that's the way it is isn't it spike racing yeah it was a tough tough course tell me and, and through the town it seemed 
very selective. Uh, was there a particular reason for that or anything? Um, yeah, it, it was like a criterium at the end of 160 kilometers at the end of a tough season. So it was like whoever had speed there and out of each corner, it was kind of like there was motorbikes there. So every kind of the top 10 probably got a rush off the motorbike out the corner. And if you're further back than that, you were just chasing. I mean, I looked down and I was doing like 60 k an hour out of the corners. I was like, this is uh, this is too... There's a lot of damage being caused and um, it was hard to kind of just surf the wheels, like even moving up position was really difficult because the speed was so high. And did you expect it to come down to a sprint like that or did you think it might have been a, a smaller group at the finish? Um, as soon as the Dutch rode so uh, defensively on overrides, I thought, yeah, that's going gonna, gonna to come to a sprint. I thought, um, I expected them to use use their strength a bit better over the climbs. Surprised to see them not doing that because you're always going to give if you give the Italians a sniff of a sprint in a world championship they're going to take it because they execute it so well so um, yeah I expected it to be a sprint yeah. There's not much else to talk about on the women's side except that it was uh, the last race for a lot of top riders, Ruth Winder, um, American rider, she's done after yesterday. Um, so congratulations to her on an incredible career. Also Anna Vandebregen, one of the absolute greatest of all time, had her last race yesterday and spent it getting bottles for her team, which is just like chef's kiss. Who's <laughs> Jeff? Who's Jeff? What? Who's Jeff? <laughs> uh, Jolene Dehor had her last race on home soil yesterday. She's still racing Perry Roubaix, but um, the crowd that came out to salute her farewell was massive. They had her up on the podium before they had the actual podium presentation, um, and that was pretty cool to see. A lot of big names. A lot of people stepping out. Yeah, yeah, I think we would have seen it last year had it not been for the Olympics, and then. There's also, there's going to be a ton next year as well. It's really, I mean, it, it's great. Like, turnover in the sport is great. And uh, lots of young, amazing talent. I mean, Balsamo, like I said, yeah. is 23. Right? You know what's crazy? Trek Segafredo has both of the women's world champions next year. Ellen Van Dyke with the time trial and Elisa Balsamo with the road race. That's right. She's moving over, isn't she? She's going to Trek Segafredo. Yeah. So, pretty cool. Nice pickup. Excellent pickup. And All right. the U23 male winner is also going to Trek Segafredo. But Tom's didn't win, so what are they going to do now? It's Italians only here. I don't know <laughs> if you got the memo. <laughs> the road races are strictly for Italians. <laughs> All right. We're going to step away from the women's race. And, well, we've got 15K left in the men's race. We're going to take a quick pause, watch that, so that we can talk about it accurately. And we will be right back. See running. I see a helicopter. <laughs> see how fleet solo. Yeah, Al Philippe solo. Big grimace on his face. Looking behind him. Looks like he doesn't have much faith in this move. Tiny gap, less than 10 seconds. Less than 10 seconds to four riders with Steuben. Steuben, 
Nielsen Palace. I didn't spot who else. Uh, Vanderpol in there. The Danish. Nope, there's Vanderpol. The Vanderpol and Pigcock missed it. Maybe going across to Al Philippe. We're about to find out. Heck of a finish there. What do you think? What do we think, Shadi? What do we think about that? Just Julian Alphilippe just roll across the line. Well, you could see he was up for it, big style. Like the amount he was talking throughout the race, you could see he had energy to burn. He was, it was typical Ala Philippe when he's on form, like ducking in and out a bit, chatting to his teammate. He went back and chatted with Thomas Vokler for uh, several a while, times. Yeah, a while. And I, I would assume that's that's what made all the difference. Is, uh, oh yeah, Vogler oh. gave him a couple tips. <laughs> but no, you watch him in the you watch him in the group, and he's he was constantly talking, or about kind of constantly talking, a lot. That shows that you're either super nervous or <laughs> absolutely on it. And knowing him, well, clearly he was on it, wasn't he? Do we have a do we have a podium yet? We're we're literally like I said, recording this just as he crosses the line. Palace opened up the sprint behind. Stuyven came around him, but then I think. I think it's Valgren and. Looks like Van Barl in second and Valgren in third, and Stuyven, the local lad, in fourth. The chocolate medal. It's the saddest place. Abby's pretty pretty bummed about this because you're a big Stuyven fan. I am. I'm a really big Stuyven fan. I went to his little chocolate pop-up today and bought multiple bags of chocolate bidons. Um, but yeah, it would have been pretty special, I think, to see a hometown boy on the podium. Like, literally, this is his hometown. Um, and it would have been really cool. But I think that race was long. And with all of the climbs at one after another after another and the local laps were really, really hard. Um, a little deceptively, like, a lot harder than they looked. So I think that after all of that, they just zapped the legs. But interesting kind of tactics from the Belgians with Stuyven, you know, in fourth, the top Belgian. And the absolute favorite for the race was Van Aert. He's not even... Who knows? Who knows where he is? Yeah, really interesting makeup of the sort of final selection, right? I mean, you've got you've got Ala Philippe who can do a bit of everything, is but is definitely sort of more tuned towards hillier events, obviously. You know, more kind of an Ardennes guy than a Cobbles guy. Okay. But you do have Van Barl. So Valgren third and Stuyven, Stuyven fourth. Confirmed. Confirmed the podium there. Yeah, you've got this sort of strange mix of, of kind of pure cobble guys, right? Like Van Barl is generally known as, as more of a Flanders guy. Stuyven, definitely known as a Flanders guy. But then two, or a couple smaller riders. Valgren's more versatile on the hills. Palace is the surprise of that group for me because I, I certainly didn't see that one coming. He's a very versatile rider. We've seen him take some big wins before, St. Sebastian, for example. That's a much hillier race than than we thought this was. But the, the sort of the composition of that final group there indicates to me that this was the vertical, the elevation had a really big part to play in who ended up in that front group and some of the folks that some of the riders that we thought were gonna be there as a result weren't. Okay. Tom's is finished on out. Tom's is done, C came across the line. Abby, you're gonna you're gonna leave. Yeah, I'm out. I'm that's it. It's I'm done. I quit. <laughs> Go and wrap him in that flag. <laughs> Thank you, Abby. Sorry, guys. Have fun this week. Thank you. 
Yeah, 100% the vertical gain there obviously played a huge impact on, on the on the race, but also having raced on these very streets, this this exact same, or not exact same uh, lap, but very, very similar, I can tell you the technicality of this course played a big impact as well. You've got the whole section through, especially through the study streets here in Leuven, it's, uh, we've seen as the riders coming through, there was gaps right from uh, when they came through for the second set of laps with 100k to go or so, the gaps are opening up and that's sprint, sprint, sprint out of every corner. Uh, if you're not comfortable taking those corners at, at speed, you're, you're going to pay for that later in the race. And that's actually where I'm, I think surprise is the wrong word because we all know how good Pilus is, but I don't think anybody expected as technically um, perfect, or not perfect, but as technically a good ride as that from, from the likes of Pilus. And I think this could really be a, a big step in his career and, and where he might go on from from here could be, he's obviously going to be majorly disappointed coming fifth today and, and the, basically the front group, but uh, certainly uh, I think that's a big step for him. I think he can still take that as a very, very good ride. I'm, like you said, I'm sure he's going to be disappointed, but that I wasn't expecting him to be there. I, I think most probably weren't expecting him to be there. But much like McNulty kind of shocked us at the at the Olympics, American bike bike fans, a really, really impressive ride. And like you said, he's not from around here, right? Americans tend to struggle in general when they come over and race this kind of stuff because, well, American racing is quite different. Uh, and he's obviously taken to it really, really well. Yeah, you can... You can say that, but that's that's basically what I was trying to get to. Is that it's it's the kind of like uh, racing that you really need to be either born into or spend years getting used to. You know, the fight for position was on the whole day today, uh, and that's not the type of racing we typically see Paulus in. Uh, so yeah, again, just I'm I'm pleasantly surprised by by his performance today. I was in the team car, Irish team car today, and literally from the word go, there was very few places where. There was play t team cars could get past because it was that twitchy. It didn't matter that there was a breakaway early on up the road, and that got five minutes. You will have maybe not have noticed on TV, but if you were eagle eyed, you will have seen that there was no national team cars that would have usually been allowed to bridge that gap between the peloton and the the um, the breakaway. And that just shows you that yeah, narrow roads, twitchy roads. That even there was no time for cars to get past, no safe place for cars to get past. Can we have worlds in Flanders every year? Sorry, people of the planet, <laughs> but this is going to happen. Worlds for Flanders every year. Yeah, my last time it was held in Belgium, not Flanders. It was in Limburg, wasn't it? In Zolder. And let's be honest, that one was a bit naff. So, yeah, <laughs> don't bother Limburg. Don't bother with Ardennes. Let's just go for pin the, the roads of Flanders. I, I, I kind of wish that they had more cobbled climbs in this one I mean there were some but in the end you look at the composition of that that final group I don't think that's what made the difference right like I said it was it was we kind of underestimated how much climbing essentially was going to be in this in this course and I think that's a bit of a a bit of a miss from a course perspective like send them up the Kottenberg at some point would it would have been cool I think when we first heard it was going to be in Ronsa, or going to be in Flanders, it was supposed to be in, in Ronsa, which is right in the heart of the Flemish Ardennes, where we have the Tour of Flanders. But from being on the streets here this week, I've realized that Leuven is actually the European capital for sport in 2021. So perhaps there's quite a lot of moolah flying around with that sort of... Um, position for the study so that maybe just you know swung it in Leuven's way but I, I think the course has been fantastic I really really enjoyed it I think I, 
great racing. I, I should say I'm, I'm not. I'm not saying that the racing wasn't amazing. I just, I think when you're in this area, you know, that's the local flavor, right? I, I think I would have liked a little more of that just because I would have loved to have seen Alaphilippe go on a cobble, like famous cobble climb versus just another road, right? I'm not sure because like at first when they showed the, the course, whatever it was a year ago, eight months ago, I was with everybody else and like, why aren't they using the cobble climbs of Flanders? And I think it, this has got its own flavor. It will have, people will know roads around here now that they won't know before. It will have, it's got its own mark, it's got its own identity. And that's what I like about this circuit. I think if they had used other, other roads, it might have sort of taken away from that. Yeah, the little bit of flavor that it's got, it, it's managed to build itself in one year, one race. It'd be awesome if we saw a, a new classic or new a new one day race use these roads that would be a that's a great idea actually if, if this was year after year after year i would love it there there is a 1.1 uh, gp stad leuven which uses very similar course happens every august was the sort of practice run for the worlds this year and it is one of the biggest not obviously not one of the biggest races in flanders but it is a huge race every year very prestigious so that does happen but i think if we were to put this into an analogy it's a bit like we all thought we wanted like something in, Fla in the Flemish Ardennes with the cobbles, and we're thinking in terms of Belgian beers, but like a Duval or a Leffe, we're thinking. Whereas what Leuven provided here was a bit more like a caramelly triple that everybody can enjoy it. It's not just for the the, the hardened drinking fans. That's <laughs> lucky because I am lightweight. We we just as a precaution, we had a couple of those last night just to make sure that we fully understood what this course is all about. Yeah. And I could drink it. I'm still a Duval fan. I'll still enjoy Flanders, but Caramelite, first for me, and I really enjoyed it, yeah. Delish. Uh, on the TV behind us, Sporza, one of my MVPs for the day, Tim DeClerc. Uh, he always is, right? And unfortunately for the Belgians, it didn't work out quite as planned, but I believe he spent from 250 to 70K on Just the front. On the front. <laughs> 180 kilometers on the front of the World Championships. How big's his engine? It's unbelievable. It's amazing. Anyway, he's, he's just on the TV behind me, so I thought I'd uh, shout out to them. Who else Who else are your MVPs for today? Ignoring, of course, the winner. Alaphilippe, incredible. But who else surprised you? Who else changed the race? One person that's Im impressed me is uh, Jack Stewart from Britain. Like he, he's, it's his first year at World Tour. He had a good start of the season, had a few injuries throughout the year, and he was doing some massive turns with, I, I want to say like 90k to go for Pidcock. And it's riders like that, that were, I didn't even realize he was in the, in the team until earlier this week. And it's surprising to see him here and that, that ride from him. Yeah, Pidcock didn't, Bring the uh, came close to the end there. Yeah, but it's it's just yeah that 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 ride in itself was I thought impressive. Just little quiet rides like that. So I think we can see big things from him definitely. In fairness, also I think we have to give a a, a mention to Evinipol because he did a monster ride and any questions that surrounded him before the race, during the race. While he was in a couple of moves and that, you know, all the talk in the commentary was, was he riding for himself? Was he riding for the team or what? But when it, when push came to shove in the final stages of the race, and albeit his opportunity was all, you know, likely gone at that point, 
he did stay. He did still lay down the Watson. He did, you know, a huge turn there for, for uh, to just to just to keep Van Aert, we thought, yeah. in, in contention. Yeah. Well, it ended up being Stoyven right, but they were they were certainly riding for Van Aert, and uh, I mean, kudos. Like Evenepoel's a, a still a very young rider, right? You know, a lot of guys like that, big ego. They know what they they can do, and they think they can win, and it's it's really hard to shelve that. And he he kind of he did, and, and that wasn't always a guarantee. I mean, it's why the sports commentators were talking about it all afternoon. It was not a guarantee that he'd do that. So I, I agree. He's he's one of the most important teammates probably in the race today. Yeah, and just on White and on Evenepoel and Stoven, of course, I'm kind of wondering, is this the beginning of a rough period in the World Championships for Belgium? If you think back to the early 2000s, Italy had a super, super part of a team. They had Pataki, they had Bettini, but they could never pull it together on race day. And they always usually ended up with some sort of infighting. And now with Belgium as a nation across all the races, this uh, road races this week, they didn't take away a single medal. Huge disappointment for for the nation hosting the World Championships, uh, and with with three talents like that who are going to rightfully go into most World Championships thinking I want to win, yeah. could we see that you know in, in 15 years time we look back and none of them has ever won a World Championship? Yeah, it's yeah, the moot could be the movie star of the <laughs> coming couple of scenes. It of is if you got yeah if you yeah if you got big riders with big egos it's hard to dampen that down and go for for one goal but i think i think they rode pretty well as a team though like i, I think that they up to a point up to i a, would say up to a yeah, point yeah i mean they, I, I shouldn't say that their tactics i think were a little bit off in the end there but i think that it wasn't because of infighting i think it was just a poor some poor tactical decision making in some key moments i think long story short here is Belgium had the horsepower, I think, to win today. They needed to be a bit tactical because clearly Alaphilippe was on a flyer, right? He was just absolutely hammering today. So they needed to get a bit lucky. They needed to be a bit tactical, and I think they missed the mark a little bit there. But, again, I don't think that was because of infighting. I think it was just because of tactical kind of blunders, I guess. I also think a lot of people not forgot about... Uh, Alaphilippe mm. but I just don't think like he, people are factoring him like a lot less than he could have but I, I think a lot of people are thinking this ain't the course for him and well that's what I mean about the Flanders thing right yeah. like I, I think that we were all just thinking cobbles guys and it wasn't it wasn't that course it's tough that circuit like sitting in the car we've rolled it as well Ronan it's solid isn't it mm. no it, it, it definitely is you know and that's uh, as I said haven't raced this race before uh, or a, a similar race to this it's it's always that sort of race of attrition where it, the climbs are so s- short but so steep it's a real punch and that it wears you down something incredible as, as the race goes on and obviously it was a much lower level than this world championships but it, the, it has the exact same effect the riders are just going faster <laughs> I think if Belgian hadn't blown it to bits earlier on and got it down to a manageable group and it, if it had stuck as a larger peloton coming through the streets, I think we might have seen a few crashes because it is that twitchy. So, oddly enough, Belgium was kind of chasing when Evenepoel had that gap, right? And they kept it close enough. They were riding on the front. They were riding, right? They were not, not full-on, full-gas chasing, but they were riding, keeping the, keeping the gap around 30 seconds, which meant that the gap was close enough for Alaphilippe to bridge, which put him back into the race, right? They put him back into the race, whereas they could have just completely set up. And it looked for a second like they were going to. Is that a mistake 
was that the mistake that, that changed this race? That's kind of why I'm wondering, will this lead to some, not, not infighting today, but lead to infighting in future? Because that's like tactics one-on-one. If you have a guy in the, the break who isn't your main rider, let's say uh, Evan Evenepoel wasn't, and you've got a team behind who is working for your leader, the guy in the break has the right to sit on that break and save his legs, and your team behind has the right to sit on and save their legs. And Belgium did the complete opposite and, you know, wasting the, le the legs in front and wasting, the not wasting, but you know what I mean, they were using their legs in front and using their legs behind and and they end up, they've come away with nothing. And, that, and that's where I'm thinking, you know, who knows if Evenepoel went into today's race with a team mindset or not. And ultimately the team has come away with, with nothing. And will that, will that in future, will, will riders, when they're asked next year to work for Van Aert or work for Evenepoel, will they go, well, hold on a second, that didn't work out for us last year. Well, it looked like Eddie was right, wasn't it? Mr. Merckx, uh, just a couple of days ago, said bad idea putting Remco into the into the team. He said it was a bad idea. Well, still knows his stuff clearly. I, I mean, but I think that he could have won this race today. I think if they had if they had fully sort of shut it down, let that go, there was enough of a spread in that breakaway to and enough horsepower in that breakaway to potentially stay off the front. I'm not saying it would have been a guarantee, but I think. I think it was a mistake to try to keep that gap tight. Former Belgian champion, will we get his opinion? Yeah. <laughs> Gert. Gert, Gert Umlip, former Belgian national champion. Yeah. What did you think of Belgium's performance today? Uh, Van Aerti was uh, honest. He was not good enough. So they tried to get Staven on the podium. But yeah, if you saw how Philippe was riding today, yeah, it's a deserved winner. Yeah, for the sure. Best, the best man in the race won, so that's actually nice at, at cycling that often the best man wins. So uh, I'm, uh, I, it was a really nice race. I, I liked it from the beginning till the end. And and the, the Belgian tactics when you had a Evenepoel in the front and also chasing in behind? Well, at a certain moment, I thought that Evenepoel was yeah, pulling the, 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 the lead. I didn't know why that was necessary because yeah they had one minute 30 so it was not necessary according to me but yeah I think he wants to uh, to get in the favor of the Belgian crowd so uh, I think he did a good move for him but it was not necessary to pull the whole time like that. What's it like to have the world in Belgium then? Uh, what do you think? <laughs> it's alright, isn't it? Not, they've not done too shabby a job, have they? It's been, been alright. Yeah, I think so. It was really, uh, yeah. it was a long time we could have a, a good party. I think we did uh, a tremendous uh, job with, uh, with the world. The last week was uh, yeah, a big party in Belgium, I think. Everybody was enthusiastic after one year and a half of, of COVID. Finally, people could get out again and we... we yeah, we finished it off with a nice uh, world championship, I think. Uh, I think we don't have to wait for 20 years now to come back to Belgium. Yeah, how, how did it compare to Zolder then? Uh, the thing was, uh, I, I, did it, I, I was not myself in, in Zolder because I was racing at that time myself and I, I wasn't there. But if you, saw, if you see the, the last week, the, uh, the, yeah, the party it was, everything, everybody was talking about it. How many people there were here in, in, in Leuve? I, I can't imagine that it was the same as, as, as today. I, yeah, it gave me goosebumps. It was a long time I got goosebumps, but I got it today. <laughs> I was there 19 years ago, and this outstrips older tenfold. Like, 
it, it felt like it was on a well, it was on a racing circuit but it just didn't have that atmosphere didn't have that buzz of everybody coming together no matter if you like cycling didn't like cycling this has been party central it's been pretty incredible yep with that it might be time for us to wrap up here does Gerd not have the best name for cycl- for a cyclist in Belgium? Umlup? Like Umlup Hef Newsblad? Umlup Hef Volk? What is Umlup? Is Umlup like Tor? Like a rat? Like a... I, I think it's something like a, a circle, circulation or something. A, a tour is Ronda, so... Right. Uh, so what? There's plenty of good names in cycling, no Marco Velo? <laughs> Pierre Latour? Pierre Latour. <laughs> All right, that's it from us, from Flanders. We're sticking around all week. We're going to be at Paris-Roubaix, obviously, this weekend for the first ever women's Paris-Roubaix and the 103rd men's Paris-Roubaix. I can't, I can't remember how many men's. There's been a couple. There's been there. a couple. There's been a couple. So we will be back this week. We're going to go do some Cobbles recon, some Roubaix recon, lots of stories coming up. And we'll be back this weekend from Roubaix. Thanks for listening, everybody. Tot ziens. What? Tot ziens. Tot straks, hè, jongen. Godverdamme. <laughs>